0: Thank you, Lord, that you're here. We pray that you would now uh, fill this place and fill our minds and hearts so that we can see the glory of Christ through the word of God. And we pray that it would bring us great hope and that would give us a vision for how we can follow you in our bodies and be temples of the Holy Spirit for the life of the world. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. And good morning, good to see you all. If I haven't met you, my name is Father Aaron Damiani. We are in the middle of a sermon series called More Than Sex, Becoming Spiritual Mothers and Fathers. Thank you. Uh, More Than Sex, Becoming Spiritual Mothers and Fathers. Uh, The series really, it's an invitation to maturity as uh, men and women. We're outlining a roadmap for discipleship in our genders, wisdom in our sexuality, and a gospel vision for singleness, marriage, and the family of God. You know, our physical bodies are a key part of this call to uh, becoming spiritual mothers and fathers. They're uh, They're not an incidental part of our maturity, they're actually a very integral part of our maturity. But I find that many of us are very insecure and have a lot of pain and shame around our bodies. Do you ever wonder why? you have that insecurity about your body, why you have that fear and um, sort of painful self-awareness. I think it's in part driven by some cultural lies that have seeped into our collective thinking and living. And I wanna call out some of those lies just to start the sermon so that we can be well set up to hear God's word. You know, the first lie that we're told, um, uh, the first temptation, is that uh, we should worship the body. We should worship the body. A lot of us are tempted to worship fit, young, attractive, powerful, and well-dressed bodies. Bodies that smell good, bodies that look good are the bodies on display for us every day on TV, on social media. It's in the water we drink. It's in the air we breathe. There's a very small select amount of bodies in our culture that fit this definition. And those are the ones put forward as the ones that we really should uh, compare ourselves to or try to purchase our way into. This drives our consumer uh, habits, and not, uh, that's not an accident. Companies use certain types of bodies to get your money. And in, in the process, there's a, there's a shame and a pain element. If that pain wasn't there, why would you buy new clothes? Why would you go for that haircut? Why would you spend that much money on your gym membership or that much energy working out? It's not fashion, fitness, personal grooming. They're all good things. Um, but there's a, there can be a spiritual condition behind all of that, a spiritual condition of worship. And we can be in what's called the bent over position in relationship to the bodies that our culture put forwards as these are the ones that you should worship. All bodies are transformed eventually into older, weaker, less attractive versions of themselves. So when our bodies fail to keep us attractive, healthy, and powerful, if we're worshiping our bodies, our world will will crumble. And along the way, we'll feel like we're never quite there yet. We're never quite fit enough. We're never quite attractive enough. Okay, so that's the first real temptation. The second temptation is to, uh, to hijack the body. To hijack the body, that means that we're tempted to use our bodies, the bodies of other people, in a way that weren't meant to be used. We ignore the natural God-given limitations and design and nature of bodies. We actually hijack them to serve our purposes. Maybe it's that we turn our bodies into productivity centers. We wanna feel powerful, we wanna feel productive, we wanna get a lot of work done, for whatever reason, maybe it's because we want to get paid more, maybe it's because we want greater status, or we just feel like if we don't work harder, we won't be enough. And so we turn our bodies into productivity center and we blow through the stop signs of Sabbath, we blow through the stop signs of sleep. We don't stand in silence before God because we don't have time. And at some point, our bodies, we turn them into productivity centers, will cry out for relief and be like, I'm in pain. Comfort me. And so then we turn the productivity centers into pleasure centers and we medicate it and, and using our appetites. And we drink too much or we eat too much uh, or we or we go for sexual gratification. And so we hijack the body and hijack the bodies of others. You're just a pleasure center for me. And that's a second temptation. I think a third temptation is related to it, and that is discarding the body. What happens when we worship certain bodies and we hijack other bodies? Well, the bodies that that can't be hijacked and that can't be worshiped are just discarded. We have contempt for them. Ah, disgusting. Get it out of my face. We hold in contempt bodies that are frail and broken. At least that's the temptation, the cultural temptation. When the body stops working for you, when the, body, when the bodies of others stop working for you, when they have no use, you know, it's like that's when the severance package comes along the way. That's when we sort of passively, aggressively just sort of put the bodies we don't need, we warehouse them so we don't have to see them anymore. And our culture has all kinds of body warehouses out there with people who are alive, but they're treated like animals. But they're out of sight, we don't have to think about it. So if we despise our bodies because it doesn't fit the cultural standards, we can start cutting our bodies, abusing our bodies. Just This is similar to hijacking it. It's like, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll do anything we need to do to express how we see our bodies with food or lack of food, um, with, with too little or too much exercise. So this forms a cycle, doesn't it? Almost, almost like a cyclone, okay? Like, like it's an undercurrent of temptations that just sucks people in and destroys them over time. And so it's creating, it's pulling on us every day. Worship the body, hijack the body, discard the body. It pulls on us. Almost like it's got our, it's hooks in us. And it creates shame and self-awareness and, um, and addictions. So, how do we break free? What's the way that our bodies can become temples? Oh my goodness, temples of the living God, where where God's Spirit fills them. You know what happens when you walk inside a temple that's filled with the presence of God? You leave a totally different person. You're like, I have met with the holy and loving God, and I'll never be the same. That's what it's like when we're in the presence of a spiritual mother or a spiritual father, you're like, wow, that person has met with God. And, 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 and Paul says in our text, our bodies are, through Christ, temples of the Holy Spirit. Not devoted for its own ends, but devoted to God and filled with God and filled with the life of Christ. How do we get there? Um, you know, Corinth, this, old, this uh, ancient church plant, um, urban church, it was, it was an urban church plant and they had their problems, okay? They were a messy church and part of it was that there was this, this elite group of Christians within the church. It was like a clique, real exclusive and theologically educated. They were the cool kids and they had this thing going where they, they would quote slogans to each other um, that were from the broader culture and they had this view. They were stuck in the same cycle that people in Chicago are stuck in of worshiping the body, like going to, going to actual temples and having sex with prostitutes, some adult, some children, uh, as a way to connect with the divine and um, hijacking appetites, you know, gorging themselves and discarding the poor among them, not letting them eat or eating all the food before the poor got there. And Paul wanted them to break free. He wanted, he was call, he wanted to call them to holiness and call them to devote their bodies to the Lord because the Lord was devoted to our bodies. And so um, Paul is gonna expose, in his letter to them, he's exposing lies that are sucking them in, and then he's going to teach them, how do you live your baptism? How do you live the reality of your baptism so it's not just a sacred rite, but it becomes this immersive Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all around you, all around your body. (laughs) And when people come into your presence, they experience the power of of the Trinity, so we're gonna look at this together, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, it's in your bulletin, it's in your Bibles, Um, and we're gonna consider some some cultural myths about the body and how the gospel can correct them. The first, uh, in the first three verses, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 14, Paul's going to interact with some of the slogans that the Corinthian elite were using to excuse their use of temple prostitutes. And uh, so here's what he says, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6. All things are lawful for me, and it's in quotes because he's quoting them. All things are lawful for me, but, I will, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, here's another rejoinder, but I will not be dominated by anything. I'm not gonna be mastered by anything. Here's a, here's the, a second slogan um, that we're really gonna focus on Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy both one and the other. Well, Paul says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. What do you think uh, this is referring to? It's a little confusing. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God's gonna blow them both up. Um, It's a self-excusing phrase that has an extension to sex. So if the stomach is for food and food for the stomach, but God is going to um, destroy them both, well, by extension, what's the other hunger you have? The hunger for sexual connection. In other words, enjoy before expiration date. Enjoy before expiration, that's, that's like, if all bodies had an expiration date printed on the forehead, it's like, yeah, it's, it's expiring, like a, like a gallon of milk. You might as well enjoy it before it it expires. Um, So the Corinthians believed that the body has no ultimate future, so get yours while you can. Um, Enjoy it before the expiration date. And and I find that this view of the body, that the body has no future in God, that this is just a shell, it's just a dirty, stinky, occasionally glorious, um, like, like, thing that needs to be discarded in favor of something spiritual, that your soul needs to be liberated from the prison of your body, that the two are separate and need to be separate, that this is still in our culture too. So in 2015, the late actress Carrie Fisher, otherwise known as Princess Leia, uh, she tweeted this, my body is my brain bag. My body is my brain bag. It hauls me around You know the demeaning language? It hauls me around to those places and in front of faces where there's something to say or see. What's the body good for in the eyes of Carrie Fisher? It's just, it's something to lug you around in so that you can connect with people. In 2016, the following year, the BBC featured a young woman who proudly declared, it doesn't matter what living meat skeleton you've been born into. It's what you feel that defines you. Noted biologist Jerry Coyne referred to human beings as wet robots, wet robots, popular phrase among some biologists and philosophers, basically saying, yeah, you're a wet, your body's a wet robot, it's kind of a series of chemical reactions, and you're going to sort of behave in really predictable ways. You might, might, it might feel existentially significant to you, but really, you're just a wet robot looking to meet your needs. So what is the body? Um, according to our culture, it's a brain bag, it's a meat skeleton, it's a wet robot. And, and these nicknames really do demean the body as just raw material without any dignity and without any future. Okay, so if there's no future for the body, then what, what do we do with it? Enjoy it before it expires, enjoy before expiration date. Um, and if you enjoy before expiration date, you can just abuse the bodies of other people. It's just your body's decaying, their body's decaying, There's no ultimate meaning for the body, so then just indulge, indulge, you know, go ahead and go for indulgence, and that's going to lead to injustice. Because if if indulgence doesn't matter, injustice doesn't matter either. Because the people without the strength to protect themselves are the ones that are going to be sold into human trafficking and the ones that are gonna be sold into the pornography industry and the ones that are gonna be put in inhumane working conditions so that we can have cheaper goods and services. It was true in Corinth, it's true in Chicago, it's true in every um, modern city. So how does Paul counter this slogan? Um, Second half of verse 13, he says this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. What's Paul saying? He's saying, restrain your body. Why? Because the Lord will raise your body. Restrain your body because the Lord will raise your body. If Jesus has put on flesh and ministered in this world and given his life to forgive your sin, to to take on your sin and your shame and your death, If he was crucified to destroy death itself, if God raised Jesus from the dead and you're united with him, that's a down payment on your resurrection too. That when the Father raised Jesus' body from the dead, he set in motion our own bodily resurrection. Jesus' body has its resurrection hooks in your body if you've been united with him. That doesn't mean that we won't age, we will age. We are mortal. Jesus's body was mortal and it was vulnerable and it was shamed, it was desecrated. As much as the Roman Empire knew how to tear that body apart and shame it and mock it, they did it. Uh, And yet, that couldn't stop Jesus from being raised to life from the Father. And so our bodies may die, they may rot, they may even be desecrated against our will, yet one day they will be reconstituted and filled with glory. Um, So the future is physical. You and I are here, we've got our bodies, they're gifts, praise be to God, we're here in this kiva, we're gathered around worshiping Jesus. There will one day come a time where if we've been united with Christ, we, with the bodies we have now, they will be reconstituted, we will surround the throne of Jesus, we will feast at his table, and we will praise his name. And the future is physical, uh, uh, not just for Jesus and his body, but for ours as well. Here's how Job said it in the grand language of King James. He said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Some of you know that um, I've been riding around an old gray bike, and I've got it eight years ago. I've ridden... Thousands of miles on it and even wrecked it pretty good a couple years ago. Um, so I brought it into the mechanic because it's, the wheel's like, R-r-r-r-r-r. and he said, you've driven the stuffing out of this and it's like, you've got to fix the wheel. You know, the wheel. You just need a replacement and that needs a replacement and the chain needs a replacement and the cartridge needs a replacement and everything's like, and then you need, dude, you need a tune-up too. Like, you need a tune-up. And so, so I was like, okay, well, great. And so um, I'm sort of, you know, like taking it a piece at a time, saving up for a new wheel and everything else. And then um, soon after that, I've got it locked outside, go to work, come out to get my bike after work's over, and the wheel's gone. Someone stole, someone popped it right off and stole it. And it was like, joke's on you, sucker. You got whatever you deserved. (laughs) That wheel is going nowhere. So then, I had an opportunity to trade that old model in, even with one wheel, to get a, a, a new bike for a great price. I was so thankful for it. And, and um, it's, it's still around the same era, like early 80s kind of a road bike, but it's in much better condition and stuff. And so, this bike has a future. And I don't lock it up outside uh, like I did the other bike, nearly as much. Why? I'm kind of you know, treating it very carefully. Because I want I, I want this bike to last me. I expect that it will. So I'm much more careful with it. And the I think the question some of us have to ask is: Are we treating our bike like the old model or the new model? Are we Are we just kind of carelessly um, uh, abusing our bodies, using our bodies and the bodies of others as if they have no future? If you are united with Christ, your body has a glorious future. And as as we wait for that resurrection day, we wait in faith, and that faith takes practical form in restraining our sexual appetite. That is the way that we say, I will one day be resurrected. This body will one day stand with Christ. And though worms eat my flesh with these own eyes. I will see the glory of Christ, and I will praise his name. My Redeemer liveth, and I will too. I think this also takes the pressure off. Not only does it give us a holy sense of gravity about how we use our bodies and restraining our appetite, um, but it also takes the pressure off from maintaining peak condition as long as we can. Do you ever ever feel sad when you see see a celebrity or someone that like going for the Botox and stuff and they're trying to stay young and it's just like so sad. Like they're not allowed to age. Um, this can give us hope. This view of the body can give us hope when we feel discouraged and self-hating when our bodies don't do what, they want, what we want them to do. Um, we have a reason now to, for justice. We actually have moral, eternal underpinnings for the justice that we long for as it relates to the poor and those who are defenseless. And we don't call people by animalistic names like cockroach or horse face. We call them made in the image of God. We treat every body, whether it shares our nationality or race or not, with respect and love and dignity, including the unborn, the infirm, people with disabilities and people with injuries. Why? But The body is not meant to have an expiration date. It has an eternal destiny. So we restrain our bodies because Christ will resurrect our bodies. Now Paul's going to keep engaging with them about their false beliefs about the body. So look with me in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6. See if you can spot it here in these few verses. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take and that the word there is real violent. It's like, shall I then almost oh, like rip. Shall I then rip away? Shall I then wrench the member, the limbs and organs of Christ and make them limbs and organs of a prostitute? Never, unthinkable. Verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. That's what this is kind of, building towards, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his or her own body. Now, what what is Paul saying here? I think we need another succinct slogan to sum up what he's, he's calling out one of their lies. And the, and the lie goes like this. I can give away my body, but keep my soul. You know, I can give away my body, it's just, you know, Give away my body and the body parts, but keep my soul in the process. And Paul asks him, don't you know that, that your bodies are members of Christ? So Paul's saying, when you're united with Christ, your physical body becomes an extension. It becomes like a limb or an organ of the body of Christ, the, the same one that was raised from the dead, the same one that, that, that is seated at the right hand of the Father, the same one that's interceding for us as our compassionate and faithful high priest, your body's an extension of him, a limb, an organ, it's attached, it's attached. You're one spirit with him, he says in verse 17. So the way we live our life, using the physical bodies are like Christ with skin on. And here's some examples that one member of our church mentioned to me this week. She gave me a list of things that ways this could tangibly look like. Sitting up at night with a sick child and holding them. Like, that's like Christ with skin on. A member of Christ operating in the body as he would. Hugging the widow at church and being like, you are part of this body. We love you. I'm, a, I'm your spiritual son. I'm your spiritual daughter. Hey, bring it in. Helping a friend move from one apartment to another in Chicago. Like, using all the potential energy you have uh, to, to sweat and, and to labor and to be like, you're not alone. You're not just some anonymous person dinging about here in the city. You're, you're like, you're, you're one of us, and you belong to Christ. Or, or helping, uh, is cooking and packaging a meal for a new mom or, or someone who's uh, shut in. And like, putting your energy into that, your creativity into that, and then as an extension of Christ's love. It's like, how would Christ cook a meal? I imagine he would cook something really, really good um, and, uh, and bring it with a smile. Um, so, yeah, our bodies are members of Christ. They're the limbs and organs of the Savior of the world. Isn't that incredible? His will, his lordship is carried out on earth as it is in heaven using our physical bodies. Wow, incredible. Our, our bodies, the reason that this is possible, to be united with Christ like this, is because God gave us the gift of our bodies because he wanted us to bond. He wanted us to be close in in appropriate, rich ways. A lot of the reasons that we feel so unnerved in the body is that we haven't bonded appropriately. And so we're hungry for that bond. And Paul's talking about the bond we have with Christ through our mystical union. We're united with Christ. um, But we're also meant to be united with, with his church, Uh, united socially, and also, appropriately speaking, in the covenant of marriage, united sexually with our spouse for life. And so Paul's like, wait, so you're bonded with Christ, and then you would wrench that bond apart and like unnaturally bond it in a a way that's unholy. Never, ever, ever, no, that doesn't work. Um, In Corinth, they would say, I can give my body but keep my soul. But you know how I think we would say it? I can give my body, but keep my heart. I can give my body, but keep my heart. My real person, you know, the ghost and the machine, no one can touch that. In other words, you know, personhood and sex can be kept separate. Otherwise, you're just another clingy person that wants a relationship. So right now, there's this trend on college campuses and among high school students, that the coolest person is the one who cares the least about sex. So lots of hookups, very little relationship, because it's like the only way we know how to bond is sexually, so we go for that. But if you actually need a friendship after that, um, you're clingy and you're boring. So one teen magazine said, hey, how do you wow a man? Ask him for a ride home after sex, just to show how little you care, and then he'll pursue you. Um, writing for the New York Times about the nature of friends with benefits, that is, um, sexual partners that don't have romance. Um, Benoit Denizent Lewis writes this. You just keep it purely sexual, and that way people don't have mixed expectations and no one gets hurt. But they do get hurt. Um, detaching our bodies from our hearts It goes against the grain of our biology. It's one of the biggest cultural lies out there. During sexual intercourse, typically two different uh, um, chemicals are released. These chemicals actually increase trust and uh, emotional bonding. These chemicals are oxytocin and vasopressin. Oxytocin typically released by the woman Vasopressin typically released by the man and they create a sense of trust and personal bonding. In fact, oxytocin is released in a woman, generally speaking, when she's nursing her infant to bond her with the infant. So body and soul, like why would you rip them apart? But even if you tried, it's not gonna work. And this is the case that the scriptures have been making for centuries. Paul says in verse 16, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Lauren Winner from Duke University translates verse 16. Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise, whether you do or not? God's design for our bodies is to bond in life-giving, honorable Ways. And to separate that bond from personhood, that's just self injurious. The final myth that Paul addresses is in the final two verses, verses 19 and 20. You can look there with me. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, glorify God in your body. You know, I think the Corinthians believed something that a lot of Chicagoans believed. And and I think the belief would go something like this. My body is my own. I I own it. It belongs to me. Um, Thus, don't you dare tell me what to do with my body. Now, so think about it, does your body belong to you? It's certainly a gift that you can receive and it's certainly a responsibility to steward, but does it belong to you? So Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, lists six observations that undermine this belief that our bodies are our property, okay? So consider these, consider these observations and, and you think about it. See if you agree with him. Number one, I did not produce my body. Number two, I did not determine its basic properties. Number three, I could not care for my body for many years. Number four, my body is not currently self-sufficient. It doesn't produce its own water, food, and shelter. Um, Number five, a time will come when I cannot care for it. Number six, what is done with my body strongly affects others around me, okay? Now, Paul might add number seven, your body is currently carrying inside of it a precious gift of God, the Holy Spirit, which God God did not say, the Holy Spirit's mine, my own, my precious, and you don't have it. God gave freely the gift of his Holy Spirit to be housed, to be encased, to be carried reverently in our bodies and in the body of Christ. Um, So Paul says in verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? We talked about this at the beginning, that hey, like when a temple is dedicated to the Lord, that temple is not just about, the the temple doesn't own itself. The temple isn't just there to be renovated into um, the next set of condos or the next cool restaurant. That temple is devoted to the living God. And when you walk inside of it, all the symbols point to God. When you, when, you, when you walk inside of it, even the smells are designed to point to God. When you walk inside this kiva, it's not about the kiva, this, uh, this worship space, it's, it's, it's beautiful and unique and amazing. And it's, it's so wonderful to come here. But without Jesus, this would just be another place to sit. This has become a special place to us because of how God has met us here. And our bodies are, are like the kiva. They're meant to be set apart. Even the everybody dance poster. I... <laughs> Additionally speaking, this is the final like thing to consider when you're deciding whether or not you own your body. Paul says in verse 20, for you were bought with a price. And um, the word for, for bought is the wor- same word used, Uh, and the same type of phrase used to talk about slaves purchased at the open-air slave market, which was a a normal thing in Corinth. You go, you buy slaves. Uh, Different from chattel slavery, but nevertheless, you know, people (laughs) sold themselves into slavery for the purposes of having food and shelter and everything else, and and then other people who owned them could sell them. People were treated like property. And um, this language what, what what Paul is saying is that you know Christ walked into the open air market where you were under the clutches of sin and evil and you were st- stood condemned to a life of slavery and Jesus with his own personal self giving death and resurrection like interposed his blood and bought you out got like he got he you he rescued you from slavery and so, so glorify God in your bodies, you're not your own. Glorify God in your bodies, or as one translation says, make your body a showplace for God's greatness. And that's what a spiritual father and a spiritual mother can do. Their bodies are not for themselves. They certainly take care of them and steward them, but they devote their bodies to God, first in baptism, and then they devote each part of their body to God's kingdom. Um, so there's a story told about the Irish that back in the day when they were being first evangelized and the gospel was beginning to take root and, and the Irish were, were, being, were being submerged in baptism to confess Jesus as Lord and devoting their bodies to his purposes, that a lot of the Irish said, like, you can, you can baptize me, but let my right hand stay above the water. Like, you can dunk me all the way down, but just let this part, this part, don't get this part wet. Because I want to keep this hand, this right hand for myself. Why? In case I need to kill somebody. In case I need to hit somebody. Is there a part of your body? A lot of us have a part of our bodies that we do not want to be submerged under the holy waters of baptism a part of our body that we're just not quite ready to devote to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, Is there a part of your body that you could consecrate afresh this morning to be a part of the temple of the living God, a limb or a member or an organ of the living Christ? Maybe like the Irish, it's your hand. Your hand is primed and habituated in, in like hitting someone or stealing from someone or, or or like overworking. Or maybe it's your shoulders that need to be consecrated to God. Maybe your shoulders are carrying anxiety and self-reliance. They need to be filled with grace. Often it's our tongue, which has been used to, to slander, to cut people down, to discourage. Maybe it's our eyes that need to like be washed under the waters of baptism afresh, need to be consecrated. They're trained right now to look critically at people, to to size people up and compare or look suggestively at other people or take in false images. Maybe it's our throat that needs to be consecrated afresh to God. Maybe our throat right now is is primed for overeating and that feeling of fullness, that feeling of um, numbness In the case of the Corinthians, it was their reproductive system, their sexual organs needed to be consecrated to God. They needed to live their baptismal identity through the use and the proper non-use of their sexual organs. And that may be the case for us as well. Maybe our sexual organs are are primed and trained to, to operate apart from Christ. So how can we dedicate our bodies to the Lord well, we can be baptized. If you've not yet been baptized, we're having a baptism in two weeks, okay? So if you would like to step forward and say, yes, I want the grace of Christ to forgive me and fill me, and I wanna be united with Christ forever, let us know. You can be baptized on All Saints Sunday. Um, you can, we can renew our baptism, even this morning, by releasing every part of our body to the Lord, and you can do that this morning in prayer. Maybe there's a part of your body that you say, Lord, this is yours now. Um, you can even picture that dimension of your existence being submerged in the waters of baptism. Or you could ask for prayer. Um, From our prayer ministers, they'll be up in this direction. They could use holy water to remind you of your baptism. Uh, Finally, we could just ask the Holy Spirit to fill our bodies and fill particular areas of our bodies that we want to be discipled. We want this part of our bodies to be uh, trained for the kingdom of God. And as we do, you know what happens as we do this? It doesn't happen overnight. Over time, the Lord makes us spiritual mothers and fathers in this world so that when people get around us, when they interact with us, they come into our presence. They don't as much see us. They don't as much feel us. They're not tempted to worship us. They come away encouraged because the Lord has met them, because the Lord has filled us Because our bodies are willing temples, willing vessels of the presence of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in a city that is besieged by ruinous temptations to worship and discard the body, that is what people are hungering for. They wanna be liberated from the bent over position of worshiping bodies. and be set free to worship the living God, to be straightened out to worship the living God, to stop hijacking bodies and to to start honoring them. And as you and I become spiritual mothers and fathers, in the Lord, that's what becomes possible through the church. Let's take a moment to pray. I invite you to pray about something that you've heard this morning and respond to the Lord. Lord, thank you for your dedication to our bodies, to saving them, renewing them, filling them, and resurrecting them. It's a struggle to obey you in our bodies. There's a lot of uh, rebellion that's housed there, Lord, so we need the Holy Spirit. We need grace, the grace of Jesus to follow you. Forgive our sin, make us new creatures, and make us temples of the living God for the life of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.